0: You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and
1: Benjamin Riley. We have a listener from a, we have a listener from a question. Know what that says. <laughs> It's the 31st of October, 2017. I'm Benjamin Riley, And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about queer theory. But before we do that, we just wanted
0: to note that we said in an episode a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about the plebiscite on marriage equality, that we would come back to that at some point to sort of wrap up the campaign. We just wanted to let you all know that we intend to do that on our next episode. We're going to be actually recording on the day that the results come out so we'll record after the results come out uh, and be... So it'll be a
1: very hot take piping hot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be like, you know, snap take of what we've, what's going on. So we'll hopefully have that within, you know, 24 hours out after the results have come out and, you know, we'll be your first in-depth analysis that you listen to about the marriage <laughs> <laughs> marriage equality that's, results That
1: seems highly unlikely But we'll, we'll give it a go anyway
0: <laughs> We'll give it a shot You know That you listen to I made very clear That it was that you listen to So you're you know, you going sure. to
1: read All the yeah. articles first but, but that's going to be coming up In the next couple of weeks So back to today's topic Queer theory It's one of those terms That's thrown around a lot On all sides of public debates About LGBTI issues Safe Schools springs to mind as an obvious example, but it is rarely actually
0: explained. When the topic came up recently in our discussion about Benjamin Law's Safe Schools quarterly essay, we realised we've been kind of guilty of the same thing. We rarely dig into the implications of queer, right down to what it means to have it as our podcast title. So today
1: we'll be getting stuck into Queer Theory. What is it? Where did it come from? And what does it mean for our political movements? We'll also be trying to pay a bit more attention than we usually do to how we use the term queer
0: on the podcast.
1: So, Simon, to give you the unenviable task of kicking this discussion off, what is queer theory?
0: Yeah, okay, so I actually wrote some notes on this because... That I is want fair to, like, enough. <laughs> get this right, uh, um, so we'll see how we go. So, queer theory is an academic theory, uh, first and foremost, and it's one that sort of emerged in the 1990s and was really popular in, in that time for about five years. But I would say it's now something that's re-emerging quite a bit and people are t- going back to those texts from the 1990s.
1: And it's so worth saying also hugely, hugely influential, So, so you know, has has really informed the way that LGBTI discussions discussions about LGBTI issues I had, if people are aware of it or not, I would argue since then.
0: Yeah, and, and we're talking about some very big thinkers. So we're thinking about people like Judith Butler, for example, as a queer theorist, uh Lauren Bellant, who maybe people may have heard of um, Eve Sedgwick there are some really big thinkers in sort of queer politics and queer thinking so to use an academic term and this is this is the one I, I have to use but I'm going to try and get away from it pretty quickly uh, so queer theory is a post-structuralist theory Ooh. and by that I mean that its aim is to break down approaches towards sexual identity, uh, sexual identity and to a lesser extent gender And so queer theory was a reaction to uh, what was sort of known as gay and lesbian studies, which was really dominant in the 80s, the 70s and 80s. Uh, And gay and lesbian studies focused inquiries into sort of quote-unquote natural and unnatural behaviour with respect to homosexuality or sexual behaviour in general. Gay and lesbian studies treated things like the idea of homosexual or heterosexual as sort of stable sexual identifiers, that they were just these things that were there, they were stable as structures. Uh, and that the the idea was that we had to investigate, you know, how they how they occurred, and in turn, gay and lesbian studies led to a lot of gay politics that aim for assimilation within these structures. So, if you have these ideas that are stable, then uh, or they sort of exist, they just exist as they are. Then the idea is to try and make them equal, effectively, so that heterosexual as is as equal as homosexual. What queer theory tried to do was just to break down these structures. Overall, Um, And so the idea, and there was a couple of parts of that. First, they challenged the idea of heteronormativity, and so you see the term heteronormativity appearing quite strongly uh, through queer theory. And the idea of heteronormativity, and I think it might be just worth explaining that as well, because I don't want to have some assumed knowledge here. Heteronormativity is the idea that people fall into sort of distinct gender and sexual roles. You know, you're heterosexual or you're homosexual. Uh, also, you fit or you're male or you're female, you're man and woman. And that these roles are dominated by heterosexuality. And so we live in a society that's dominated by heterosexuality. Sure. It's kind of like the idea that the
1: default assumption is that you're straight. Yeah,
0: exactly. And a lot of gay and lesbian studies sort of agreed with that default assumption. And what it was trying to do was just to make that people who were homosexual were sort of elevated to be equal at the same. At the same level as heterosexuals and we see a lot of that in sort of essentialist understandings of queerness which says you know there's a you know you're born straight or you're born gay and those who are born gay are always in the minority because you know it's only a minority of people who were born gay so there is that distinction and, and that that d- distinction is pretty clear what queer theory was trying to do is trying to break down the dominance dominance of this worldview and trying to break down heteronormative structures sort of question this idea that there that these that these structures of heterosexual and homosexual or uh, existed in such a clearly defined way in in turn what it also did is then sort of challenges the stability of gender and sexual identities and so different to identity politics which sort of treats identities as very sort of set you are gay you are lesbian you're bisexual or whatever uh, queer theory sort of challenged this concept and treated them treated you know your sexual and gender identities as fluid socially constructed and that's really important so it's they're, they're not inherently connected to your biology necessarily but there's there's these socially constructed ideas um and then of course they're changeable or challengeable that's my sort of broad
1: summary uh but there's a lot to unpack there very clearly sure i uh that's not what my understanding of queer theory is. okay <laughs> what's your understanding of queer theory then yeah i mean my understanding of queer theory is that i think like a lot of what you're describing is like liberationist politics so a lot of what you're talking about about the idea that like gender and sexuality is socially constructed came way before queer theory like that was Mm. these were kind of things that were really big part of the of gay liberation and and women's liberation in the 60s and 70s i think the the what was new about queer theory in the 90s like again kind of a lot of what you described to me is like the the leap from those sorts of essentialist understandings to liberationist politics in the in the 60s and 70s the leap then into queer theory was like a sort of more radical deconstructionist position where it's like questioning the idea that any identity of any kind is stable at all so kind of going not just that not just that homosexuality for example is like socially constructed it's that heterosexuality is socially constructed and that like our experience of our bodies is socially constructed, that like our, you know, relationship to the idea of sex and gender at all is socially constructed. And it's not so much about a focus on, I mean, what's interesting about queer theory is that it, it's not even like, it's about sort of, you know, quote-unquote queerness rather than necessarily about non-normative to i don't know use an imperfect term non-normative sexual or gender identities it's about every sexual and gender identity and kind of talking about saying that kind of nothing is inherent you know and that's you know blurs the lines between the, the biological and, and the cultural
0: yeah I don't I don't think we disagree I think that's what I was trying to explain maybe obviously I didn't explain it as well oh sure as I could
1: have oh no I suppose it's just what I heard the way I heard you describing it almost made it sound like those a lot of those things were what queer theory was bringing whereas as far as I understand it there they were there already like that they they weren't we theory didn't introduce a lot of the things that you described.
0: Okay, yeah, no, I can totally see that. Um, So, yeah, no, I, that's fine. I can, I can see what you're saying. I think you're right in that it sort of adds in the element of the... Uh, th- that it sort of takes down to the deconstructing of everything, and that's where it becomes a very post-structuralist kind of approach and that's what post-structuralism is kind of about about deconstructing everything and queer theory takes that to the next level so you're right in that it's not just about deconstructing and what i was trying to get at is sort of that it's about deconstructing not just homosexual ideas and uh, but also the ideas of heterosexuality and the experience of a heterosexual identity and looking at how those all play into a heteronormative structure
1: yeah i'm just trying to think of if there's like a way or an example that we could give that sort of makes it really clear because I feel like all we've done is sort of like muddy the waters even more. So like second wave feminism would usually argue that there are these like biological categories that are man and woman and that gender is a, a, like a, a power structure, like a hierarchical power structure that is imposed onto those biological categories that is male and female. And that those things correlate for historical reasons and power reasons but they're not natural like there's not a kind of natural correlation between female and the like the the biological category of category of female and the the social or cultural category of woman what queer theory would say to sort of destabilize that is that there is like even the idea well i mean a couple of things i guess first of all that the idea of like woman is not a stable category that there are That exists for lots of different people in different ways and in different contexts, and that we perform. So, so a really big part of queer theory is this idea of like identity as performance. You know that that we take on different aspects of different kinds of of structures, of discourses, of ideas, identities that we display in different contexts and in different situations depending on a whole range of factors our backgrounds the who we're with all all sorts of things and that those things all kind of come together to construct a, a, a constantly changing constantly performed again self that is different moment to moment it would also kind of further deconstruct that idea of a difference between biological sex and and cultural gender by saying that even the idea of biological sex is constructed so like, an obvious kind of counterexample to that, to the idea that biological sex is, like, looks like a particular thing, are intersex bodies, which, you know, sort of exist outside, often exist outside of a binary, and are often quite violently forced through the like through medical procedures and things like that into one category or another so that's a, a way that like again that's a kind of really like blunt example but that's an example of how sex itself and bodies themselves are, mm. are culturally and socially constructed as well so yeah i guess i guess that's kind of how i would that's how i would summarize the distinct like the distinction of kind of queer theory from what came before that
0: yeah actually i think that's a really good distinction and that helps us out quite a bit and i was just thinking about a similar sort of way you think about that you could put that same analysis on to sexuality and so queer theory is looking to to deconstruct the very ideas uh, the very sort of the ideas both physically and as an identity of what Sexuality is so to deconstruct those those concepts in a way that looks at uh, you know their sort of set nature in, in in society I guess or how they're treated as sort of a set nature in society and and challenges those.
1: It's tricky because a lot of the a lot of the stuff you're talking about was again like very much a big part of gay liberation. Like the idea that a lot of writing from around that time sort of talks about the idea that in utopia everyone will essentially be like sexually fluid and and be like fucking whoever they want and regardless of gender and and all that stuff will sort of be transcended in in some ways.
0: Yeah, so I you know, I agree and I I'm, I'm still thinking about how we differentiate those two. I think it was really clear your differentiation between like second wave feminism and queer theory. And I think that that distinction holds up very strongly. I'm thinking about how we do the difference between gay liberation and queer theory, because it feels like there's a lot of similarities there.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess queer theory is, is a lot less normative. So so it's kind of not really seeking... It's seeking to describe more than to prescribe, I suppose. Um, it does It doesn't have intrinsic political goals in the same way that gay liberation does, which I think is a really kind of interesting yeah um, you know question mark over queer theory
0: certainly queer theory is something that sat largely in the realms of academia um and and that's part of it it didn't you know there are some really big names in there you know Judith Butler being the biggest one who has sort of had influence over social movements but you know you look at those names and they're mostly people who in who in academic circles recognize and so it's 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 often very sort of focused in the in the processes of thought rather you know thought and discussion rather than, the, than in totally, the sort of action totally. of gay liberation it was not it's not a movement. Movement building
1: um, and you know, theory. and it was also it grew out of uh, like really a lot of these ideas grew out of the work of uh, Michel Foucault in in the preceding decades and and you know he was a guy who was sort of notoriously dense and impenetrable and and academic as well and in fact this is this is a really kind of common uh, critique and has been a really common critique of queer theory since since it began is that it is inaccessible it's it's I remember taking a, a course. Like one of the most amazing experiences I had at university was was taking a course with the frequently reviled uh, radical lesbian fem- feminist Sheila Jeffries uh, revile- reviled in queer communities at least for, for often for very good reasons. And she yeah ba- basically like mocked queer theory during her course by saying that like you know you can't you need a degree essentially to understand it at all, whereas the goal of a sort of political theory should be to to be used to be utilized by as many people as possible. And I think that's a fair um, criticism. I that's a yeah. <laughs> I've
0: read some of the the, the people. Uh, I've read lots of people who are in queer theory who are known as well good queer theorists. So I mentioned Eve Sedgwick and Lauren Bellant earlier. I mean, and these are names that most people wouldn't know. Um, so other people like Lee Elderman and Jack Halberstam are, are similar. And a lot of their work is very impenetrable. It's very difficult to get through. And that's for me, someone like me, and I'm someone who is currently doing a PhD in some of this stuff, and I find it very difficult to get through. And it's a, it's a critique of the sort of post-structuralism that, that that I think I hold overall in that post-structuralism is not just something that exists in queer theory, but this sort of deconstruction, this idea of deconstructing structures often ends up being very esoteric and potentially also, you could say, very disconnected from the real lives of real people and the real social movements that are, that, that are sort of existing in these areas. That while these ideas are nice, they're very, very hard to put into practice or to think of as something that you can, you know, that, that can create social change when things like gender and sexuality are so entrenched within our society and so entrenched within the narratives of our society the processes that a lot of these academics go through to break them down it, it becomes impenetrable to the point of how do we you know how do you actually do this
1: i think because you and i sometimes sort of frame identity politics and and queer theory as as oppositional which they are in a lot of a lot of ways like they 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 take almost opposite views on identity whether explicitly or implicitly but I think there's almost an implication in that that queer theory is somehow what we should be drawing from more in our politics and it's kind of hard to know quite what that what that would look like because I think part of the problem with the, you know, one of the like great things about identity politics, and, and I would say probably its, its best thing, is that it, it has a, a real galvanizing power. It has a, a real ability to sort of build movements of people and, and bring people together for political causes. And, and has done that really effectively in, in lots and lots of instances. Whereas queer theory is this totally like destabilizing thing like it's it almost seeks to do the opposite it seeks to make us uncomfortable and i think that i absolutely think that that is a you know discomfort is a political goal can be a political goal in and of itself but it's not a particularly (laughs) i'm gonna accidentally make a pun not a particularly constructive one um (laughs) not a good pun uh, yeah, it works. It's a nice little academic form. So it's, and it's like, yeah, so it's, I think it's a difficult question to answer. I think also because queer theory can be incredibly individualistic, like, even though it is about locating people within context, within cultural and social and historical contexts, and understanding the ways that those inform how identities produced and performed by a particular person it's still I don't know in my experience tends to do so on the level of the individual yeah
0: I actually think that's I think these are all fair critiques you open up the question of what might a political movement based in queer theory look like and it's something that I'm thinking about a lot but it's something that I have no answer to because I just don't know how it could work and I think the reason is kind of the same reason that you're saying is that it's very hard to galvanize around these very ideas because they're so uncomfortable and because they create so much discomfort and they're designed to do so And I think that maybe the potential of Should we be drawing on queer theory for political movements Is sort of a moot question in many ways Because I'm not sure that's the purpose of queer theory And so I think that it's hard to to do so When queer theorists aren't, haven't got that sort of mindset Of, you know, this is what we want to achieve We want to tr- achieve these sort of Our theories to be used as a basis of social movements What they're trying to do more Is to create some of that discomfort And potentially to allow that discomfort to have a role in how we think about identity, but I don't think that that discomfort necessarily transcends into what a social movement could look like. There needs to be other elements there. But I
1: mean, there are plenty of there are plenty of theories that emerge from academic contexts that were then useful. Absolutely. In, I mean, like. Like Marxism is kind of the like yeah uh, that's true. One. But
0: Marx also had very much an orientation to social movements. So he spent his entire life working in social movements. And some sure, queer sure. some some queer and and he wrote about social movements very actively. And some queer theorists do that. You know uh, you know Judith Butler is someone who who engage in in some social movements and is and is supportive of social movements. But most of queer theory, I don't think, is based as largely
1: in in the work of social movements as someone like Marx was. Sure, no, I mean I, I agree. I mean I I think it's a well I guess it's just a different it's just a different kind of theory as you said, but I but I don't think I don't think that means it's not potentially useful. I almost think it's it's kind of handy as a like like a critical tool rather than necessarily a I don't know, like a again a normative political ideal. Yeah, when I think about what it might kind of look like in practice
2: a lot can happen in 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly 3 years in some states learn more at uh1.com if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers
1: I actually, I go back to the episode we did a few uh, a couple of months ago about Andrew Garfield, and that you and I sort of describing our queer utopia as this space where you know Andrew Garfield is like. Filming. Oh no! What was he doing? He's in a play. Oh, he's in Angels in America, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was in doing a play where he's a gay man. He's hanging around with gay men a lot, and then s- somehow that sort of makes him rethink his identity. And and he, you know, hand slides across in the in late at night while they're watching a movie, and then suddenly he's like having a bit of a pash with one of his male friends, and it doesn't necessarily mean he's gay, but it's just sort of expanding his idea of what what his sexuality could be. I mean, I guess like that to me, I mean, it's sort of a, it's a naff example in in a lot of ways, but. But that, I suppose, is approaching where I think it can be useful in that it's a way for us to kind of critique our own experience and particularly our own experience based around things like sexuality and gender
0: yeah another really good example of that is the uh straight men who have sex with men example sure Um, yeah which we also talked about on that we've spoken about it about about a couple of times and that is a really good example of where you have people who are engaging in what we would consider what many would consider homosexual acts but they don't that doesn't hasn't changed their identify their identifier as being straight and so it's the breaking down of an assumption of what, what identities are, and breaking down of an essentialized assumption of, of identity. And what's interesting about that to me is that a lot of identity politics, which is very, very strongly in the, you know, you should be able to identify however you want, sort of react against, by, against that by saying, well, these straight men, so-called straight men, they would probably call them, are very much definitely not straight they are you know bisexual at least or definitely gay and that by talking about them as straight we're oppressing gay people because we're denying their homosexuality or we're engaging in bi erasure uh, whereas i think a lot of queer theory would, would challenge those notions and would argue for the potential that one could be engaging in particular physical acts, particular physical sexual acts, um, whilst identifying in, in different ways, or to challenge their very notion of that straightness or their bisexuality, or challenge the notion sure, of those like, existing would, you in the know,
1: first place. ask questions like, what is heterosexuality? You know, exactly. what, is, what is straightness?
0: And so um, they could, you know, they could see, for example, and and an argument that I would make is that that one could be socially straight or socially heterosexual, whilst potentially still having physical sex, having sex, you know, what we would consider a gay way, and that is a challenging of the very concept of of what a heterosexual identity
1: is. Um, that you can for sure. I mean, I think we, I think we have to be, I think we have to be a bit careful here about how we talk about, like, oh, it's hard because like language is is super important when we're talking about these sorts of topics and. Like, I, I would say, like, again, I think some of what you're saying is almost like framing, like creating this binary between an idealized version of queer theory and, and uh, not an idealized version of identity politics, but an extreme version of identity politics that is the the sort of thing that I think you in particular uh, rail against. I mean, not that I don't, but but we probably have slightly different positions on it. And like, th- there's almost an important distinction there for me to say, because there is also this whole thing, like with the example of... of you know self-identified heterosexual men having sex with men there's also this big thing in identity politics about the idea of identifying quote-unquote identifying and that to me the idea that you could identify as heterosexual whilst having sex with men seems entirely compatible with identity politics like that um because it's still about the construction of a particular identity for me what queer theory would do is not so much say that you can identify as this whilst doing this other thing it would say like identify the the notion of identifying is meaningless or not meaningless but like entirely contingent it it only means something in the way that you construct that meaning moment to moment so it's i i feel like nothing in queer theory would would necessarily be about sort of quote unquote identifying it seems like a really sort of minor point to pick at but it's like to me that's really at the core of what queer theory is and what makes it different from other ways of thinking about Uh, sexuality and gender and sex.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And that's uh, a a worthwhile point bringing up. And it just sort of uh, picks, you know, it's it's worthwhile bringing up because it was just my sort of being a little bit clumsy with my language there in terms of how I was discussing that topic. But it's a fair point to bring up because it's an important one in terms
1: of uh, identifying what queer theory brings that's different. Well, it's worth, I mean, speaking of like being clumsy with language, it's worth kind of talking about. In fact, I got a a question on Twitter from a listener that, that I saw kind of just before we started talking about the difference between homophobia and queer phobia and I guess those are those are terms we probably use interchangeably a bit sometimes on, on the podcast and I think that's something like it's worth us just reflecting a bit on our own use of the term queer and I, in fact oh god even to go back a bit a step further than that we probably should talk about the relationship between the term queer and the idea of queer theory which I think we can sum up pretty quickly I mean this is something you and I have uh, written about before but like obviously, there's something a bit sort of strange about the idea of queer becoming an identity marker, an identity category, when it emerges from this theory that is sort of anti-identity in a lot of ways, or at least uh, is about destabilizing identity. And I think that's just something that's kind of happened over time, where queer theory. Well, i mean, you know obviously, in the term queer it was used more broadly within within LGBTI movements before the advent of queer theory. First as a slur, and then kind of reclaimed, and then it has kind of become an alternative identifier for a lot of people or just a catch-all for LGBTI... Uh, and i think that tends to be how i well i probably use it as a mix of both actually how about how about you how do you sort of see the term queer
0: yeah i think the term queer as in the way that we use it and the way that people use it as an identifier doesn't actually necessarily come from queer theory i think it really comes as you said from the reclamation of a, of queer being a slur which i guess queer theory potentially used that in the same kind of way but i don't think there's a strong line between queer theory and the use of queer now i think there's a stronger line between the other uses of queer and the reclamation of that to create another identity that was sort of seen as a catch-all for you know for the lgbti population or as an alternative to lesbian and gay politics which i think uh, in particular um, a lot of people like myself have uh, used quite frequently as an alternative to identifying as gay or lesbian and something that i catch myself on quite frequently because uh, i sort of interchangeably call myself either gay or queer uh, and those two things have different meanings uh, so I think that you what, know I what, think that, what
1: are the two, what are the two different meanings? I,
0: I, I think that a lot of the use of the word queer now is used in reaction against. Gayness, I guess, with the assumption that gayness now means privilege, it now means you know, white cis dudes, uh, and that gay in many ways is in turn being used as sort of a measure of, of sort of being in a privileged position within the LGBTI community or whatever you want to call it. And so people are using queer as, to, as a way to distinguish themselves from the privileged gay. That's how I see a lot of that, that being used. And so mm. I often use queer to identify a form of politics that is different to that sort of privileged gay politics Uh, and so I use it to identify myself not as a sort of gay person with queer politics almost which I don't think is queer theory politics I think it's just non-privileged non-respectability politics and I think that's often how queer is now used whereas I think at times what I actually want to do is reclaim gay from that privileged politics Uh, but that's a sort of Still, in some ways, disconnected from queer theory, it's just a use of it's it's, the use of this term in political circles. I guess it's slightly different. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I mean, I I don't really know in terms of kind of etymologically what the what the kind of different relationships are, but I certainly think about when I was at university and you know, like queer as a political identifier was a very very common thing, uh, much more so than than kind of since I haven't been in those spaces as much. And it at least felt to me like there was a relationship between people who use that and queer theory, that it was people who did read that sort of thing, that it was people like often sort of in the student union, people who certainly had at least, you know, a stated interest in uh, deconstructing their own sexuality and gender and, I don't know, and talking about this sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, in terms of like the, like a... A, a chronological relationship between those things, but it, but it certainly has felt to me that there is that there is a relationship.
0: Yeah, okay, that's that's fair. I I don't feel like I felt the relationship as strongly, um, and I see queer as a as an identifier fitting more within a lot of identity politics type of language and obviously acknowledging that there's crossovers between those two things but you know maybe we're just there's some different experiences there but I don't I agree I don't know exactly what the etymology is and and it's you know it's probably outside of our scope to really go through that
1: history. We were going to talk about the way that we sort of often perhaps quite flippantly use the the term queer on the podcast and and alternate between queer and lgbti and gay and all of those things and and i think ah yeah i mean kind of in two minds about it i think like on some level i wish that we were more careful about it and wish that we said the one that we meant when we mean it because it can be useful to have those sorts of distinctions in different situations but then on another level i'm like I don't really care. Like, I'm having to just kind of say say whatever. Gay feels right in some contexts for me. Queer feels right in other contexts. And, you know, it's often kind of easier to just use them pretty loosely, Um, I tend to agree. I
0: find a lot of the discussion about language really difficult to wade through and precisely because there is no right answer in this. Sometimes LGBTI works, sometimes queer works, sometimes gay works, sometimes queerphobia works, sometimes homophobia works. Sometimes it just doesn't work and you use them anyway and it's not 100% correct but there's different debates about what all of these terms mean in the first place. And so I get frustrated with a lot of that discourse. I catch myself up a lot of the time thinking, okay, I should use different language, or I should think about how I use language, or I should be looking at defining my language a little bit more when I'm writing stuff in particular, so that I'm clear about what I mean when I say queer, for example, because do I mean queer as in terms of queer theory or do I mean queer in terms of an identifier? And so sometimes it's worth thinking about it in that way but then sometimes it's just hard to go through that every time when you're talking about complex groups of people who sometimes work together and sometimes who don't who sometimes feel like they're part of a community sometimes who don't. You know, it's hard to bring all those things together and I think that a lot of this stuff that says you know that we need to figure out that there is the right way to say these things and there's correct language which we've sort of spoken about before but there's the rules of language around this i just don't think it are right because it's so complex you can't always get it right and there's not always a fine answer that we can have so i feel like you know sometimes we'll probably say queer when maybe we mean gay and sometimes we'll say gay when maybe we mean queer and it might be worth thinking about that a little bit more and trying to pick ourselves up on that a little bit more. But at the same time, you know, we'll probably still do it at times as well. I
1: think that the biggest kind of motivation probably for us, to, us, you and I specifically to be careful about it and on this podcast specifically to be careful about it is that what we don't want, and I think this is something that came up like maybe like a year ago, like early on when we were doing the podcast, I think this came up that the biggest risk is that we end up having queer essentially mean gay men. And I think that that's a bad thing. If we if we are sort of implying a universality or even a breadth to the experience that is, like, perhaps just true for Game band or even just true for us, I think that's, that's a problem, and I think that's kind of something we should be careful about. I would
0: just say, yes, I absolutely agree with that, and that's something we should keep an
1: eye on. We have a question from a listener as well, as we've been doing the last few episodes. Jason sent us an email to queerspodcast at gmail.com and asks... Queensland has, and soon Western Australia will, apologise for historical gay sex convictions. Does it mean anything? Do today's leaders owe an apology for the wrongs of leaders past? Uh, well, thanks for the question, Jason. And and you should send us a question as well to Queers at gmail if you want us to discuss something on the podcast. I mean, this is something I have thought quite a lot about, and I've I've sort of written a bit about as well. But do you want to? Do you want to jump in
0: first Simon? Yeah maybe I'll give a short answer so you can give a bit of a longer answer because I think <laughs> you, I think you've thought about it more than I have so I feel like your answer will be more in depth than mine. I'm just going to jump to the second question first which is do today's leaders owe an apology for the wrongs of leaders past? I think yes is my answer and I think that it's not about leaders it's actually about the role of the institutions and so today's leaders the Premier of Queensland or the Premier of Western Australia they are the leaders of an institution that has existed for you know a hundred years and that it was the institution that was involved in these gay sex convictions and so they it's not it's in many ways it's not the leader itself who is giving the apology it's giving an apology as part of the institution which is the which is the government as the head of the government at that point of time giving an apology for what that government what governments have done past so i think that it makes sense that leaders sort of take on that responsibility and to me, I think it does mean something. I think that it highlights a wrong, a past wrong. It's very symbolically important to say, look, what happened in the past and what we as a government did in the past was wrong. Uh, and that we acknowledge that now and that we acknowledge that we won't do it again, ideally, is what you would say as well. It's an important symbol, but we can't go beyond thinking that it's much more than an important symbol and it will be important on that day and and i think that maybe the best example of this is if you think about the apology to the stolen generations again that was something that was an important symbol but that does not has not been something that has necessarily translated into real life outcomes for indigenous people and real no. political imp- change. So we can't expect that these sorts of apologies are going to do the same for gay and lesbian people who were the, the subject of these these convictions and to gay and lesbian people in the future. This is an important symbol it'll likely be an important day. It, it means something in those sense just as the apology to Stolen Generations did but that's kind of the extent
1: of it to me. Sure yeah I mean I like I, I broadly agree with that I guess. I mean I was uh, Victoria is another state that that has had uh, a state, uh, sorry, a government apology for for uh, the criminalisation of homosexuality, and that I was there when that happened. I, I was in Parliament House for it and cried. I was I was really really moved by it, much more than I was expecting to be, and I totally kind of understand and and value the the potential in that for catharsis and the symbolic power of it. I think broadly, I. Um, I don't know. Totally pro having more recognition for the history of violence and oppression of queer people, and and having like, and and, and I don't know, having the community feel outrage about that, continuing to feel outrage. And I think I think to uh, this is maybe a, a slight tangent, but I think part of the reason why I get so frustrated about a lot of the sort of the outrage in, for example, the marriage equality, the kind of campaign for the postal vote on marriage equality, is that it, it just seems, it, and maybe this is unfair, but it, it feels to me a bit divorced from this kind of long, decades-long, centuries-long history of, of oppression of queer people that has taken all sorts of different forms. And it seems to be kind of about getting angry at this these very specific things that happen in the moment, separate from all that other stuff, without this kind of acknowledgement of how it, how it is bigger than that, how... It's almost like people are sort of surprised that these things are happening suddenly, when it's like this shit's been going on for a really long time and it is really kind of horrible. And these institutions, like, owe us a great debt. And the idea of sort of reparations, not just symbolic but potentially uh, financial, I think, are uh, or like I don't know. Someone said to me once, you know, we should have land rights for queers for, for this sorts of reason. I, and you know, and as as much as that person was perhaps being facetious, I like I. I think we should think about these things, and we should be sort of upset and angry about our history and our and our present. Obviously, what I th- what I think we have to be really careful about is that our desire for these things doesn't turn into I don't I suppose an elevation of the the state's ability to sort of grant us something that it can't, both uh, because of as you said Simon the the, the limited nature of, of of symbols, but also in that. You know, we can't be liberated by the institutions that have oppressed us and continue to oppress us. And we should, you know, kind of go, yeah, great. You know, you owe us this apology and, you know, we're not going to be grateful for it. We deserve it and, you know, give it to us. Whilst also, whilst and not letting that become a kind of like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Everything's fine now. Don't worry about anything else. Like... You know, these are still kind of crappy institutions that are that are still continuing to hurt us. So I think if we can sort of appreciate it while not becoming, not feeling indebted to the state, or, or not letting it kind of solidify a sort of a, a, a relationship of reliance, or or. Or a kind of sycophantic relationship with the state. I think that's something we, we need to be really careful to avoid. So I guess that's that's kind of my position on it. As
0: I thought, you had more in-depth analysis I did, than I did of this question. So Why that's you great.
1: Square quotes around analysis. I d- oh, I didn't, I didn't.
0: That wasn't. That wasn't. That wasn't square quotes. That was. Just oh, sorry. That
1: was just my <laughs> hands up in the air. <laughs> Good. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> If, like Jason, you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in multiple ways via the internet. So, as we said before, you can contact us on email at queers.
0: Podcast at gmail.com. And you can also like us on Facebook and Twitter and also comment on Facebook and Twitter, both on at queers podcast We also have our own personal social media. I'm on Twitter at Simon Copland and on Facebook at
1: Simon Copland Writer. And I am on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. You can also find episodes of the podcast on our website, queers.podomatic.com. You should subscribe to us on iTunes where you can just search queers. And leave us a review and rating that helps other people find the show.
0: And as always, please tell a friend about the show. uh, And tell friends to send in emails to ask us questions and all those sorts of things. Word of mouth is the best way to uh, let more people hear us and have these interesting discussions. And so please tell your friends that you like us and that that they should listen to us.
1: (laughs) Well put. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode, which will probably have completely confused your understanding of Queer Theory, clarified nothing, and left you with more questions than answers. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode.
2: Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com